With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the talk with Micah and friends. And yes, it is me, Micah. (laughs) Thanks so very much for joining us on tonight for part three of Micah's Town Hall meeting. Um, We definitely have lots to talk about and just a little time to do so. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it in just a few minutes. Make sure that you go ahead and follow us on Blog Talk Radio. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash to talk with Micah to have the ability to listen to all 33 previous episodes. You may also visit hipcast.com, search within the podcast directory to talk with Micah. And remember, there is iTunes, okay? There's definitely iTunes. Um, We are there as well, and you have the ability to subscribe for free on your iPhones or even on your computer that has iTunes downloaded. Um, I also want to shout out and congratulate uh, just a few individuals. 
Tariko Ross St. James, and Kyla Nicole Santi on winning Mr. and Ms. Diamond of the South 2014-2015, as well as Mr. Tevin, Tevin, Tevin St. James on winning Mr. Duval. Congrats to the three of you. Now, let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Micah's Town Hall Meeting Part 3. January 24th and 25th at the Jungle Nightclub in Atlanta, Georgia, Westland Pageantry System proudly presents Miss Westland Grand Empress and Miss Westland Closet Ball 2015, honoring Yesha Bubbles Alexander and Candace Sanchez Brooks, featuring performances by The Westland Empire, Antoinette Chanel Roberts, Valentino Lord Alexander, Seduction Dickerson, Trey Buchanan, Infinity Bonet, Yahim Lopez, Dupree, Avian Davenport, and Shavana B. Brooks. Empress categories include Interview, Presentation in Green and Black, Talent, No Solo Gospels, Please, Evening Gown, and Top 5, Question and Answer. For the Clause of All, Presentation, you must be a male, dressed in formal wear. Then you have Evening Gown as well as Talent. Admission is $30. Doors open up promptly at 6. The pageant will start sharp. 7 p.m. Contestant entry fee, $200 for the Empress Division and 100 girls for the Claws of All. For more information, please visit www.dwest.com. Again, that is www.dwest.com. Again, that is Miss Westland Grand Empress and Miss Westland Claws of All 2015. Myron Jackson proudly presents Black Atlanta America Mr. Miss and Plus to be held December 14, 2014 in Atlanta at Club Rush on Buford Highway, featuring the reigning symbols of excellence, Tyrolyn Fox, Archie Bonet, and Christian Valentino. Categories include presentation, all that glitters, sportswear, non-seasonal, formal wear, evening gown, must be all fabric, talent, seven-minute max, and question and response. For more information, contact Myron Jackson on Facebook. Texas All-American Goddess and Texas All-American Goddess at Large 2015 will be held January 18th at the S4 Nightclub in the Rose Room in Dallas, Texas, starring Christina Starr, Brooklyn Starr, and Sunny Delight. Categories include question and answer, interview, talent, evening gown, and creative costume. Entry fee is only 75 girls. Registration is at 1 p.m. and over $1,000 in cash and in prizes will be given on that night. It will be hosted by Casanova, featuring Aja O'Hara, Brittany Moore, Brandy Amora Sky, Calexis Davenport, and Crystal Summers. Again, Texas All-American Goddess and Texas All-American Goddess at Large 2015, an official preliminary to All-American Goddess and All-American Goddess at Large. Be there. Words never spoken is more than a book. It's a movement. It's for the man that's trapped in a closet, the man that's teaching himself how to lie, how to sneak, how to cheat, how to get over, and how to pass. It's for the little boy that wants to tell his mommy and daddy that he likes boys. It's for the man that will marry a girl knowing he's gay. It's for the man that will almost end his life because he's afraid the truth just may come out. It's my attempt to heal the frustrations that come with being gay, black and gay in particular. It offers permission to just be without apology. What's up, people? This is Craig Stewart. I am the author of Words Never Spoken, a memoir. It's available on Amazon.com, or you can download it to any e-reader. You can even visit my website at www.craigthewriterstewart.com. In America, no one needs to die of AIDS, yet still too many of our brothers are dying because of stigma and fear. We need to speak up with our partners, our families, 
and our friends about how HIV and AIDS is a real issue in our community. I'm Jesse Smollett. I'm Blake Young Fountain. I'm Anthony Burrell. We, we are, are greater than AIDS. Join the It's on us to stop sexual assault. To get in the way before it happens. To get a friend home safe. And to not blame the victim. It's on us. To look out for each other. To, to not, not look, look the other way. way. It's on us to stand up. To step in. To take responsibility. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Hey, everybody, blowing in from the windy city of Chicago, Illinois. It's Cheyenne Valentino, and you are listening to The Talk with Micah and Friends. Welcome back to The Talk with Micah, and if you just joined us, uh, you've actually joined us at the best possible time. Um, on last week on show or episode number 34, because this is episode number 35, um, we actually had our second town hall meeting. And we talked about some pressing issues that not only the LGBTQ community face, but the world is going through from day to day. And remember, there are so many things that affect us. You know, it's not always about who won this pageant or that pageant, which housewife cursed which one this week, who's sleeping with who and who's broken up or even engaged this week. You know, I've dedicated my show to so many different things, so many different platforms. And I felt that it was a dire need to let us as a community talk about the seriousness of the matters that we face from day to day. And so because I enjoyed the conversation on last week, I wanted it to continue. I want to welcome back to the show Ebony Sherry and Dario Cole, who are part of last week's panel, and Cam Gray, who was a part of the original panel from the first town hall meeting. So welcome back to the show, everyone. Hello, how are you? Thank you, Micah. You're thanks welcome. I'm wonderful. Yeah, not a problem, not a problem. Uh, and, again, thanks again for being a part of tonight's convo or tonight's um, discussion. And also to my listening audience out there that's listening, I thank you so very much for your support. Um, and make sure you share the link. I posted it to my Facebook page, so make sure you share it and let people know that there's a conversation, a serious conversation that's happening right now, and we would love for all of you to, to get involved. Um, now, in the event, you know, once we actually get into the topics, um, that you do have a question or a comment for us, you know, please feel free to press 1, and we're going to make sure that you have your opportunity to chime in on the actual discussion. So let's go ahead and get right to it. To it. So, panel, um, are, you, um, are you all ready for tonight? You ready? Ready to go. <laughs> okay, great. So um, really quickly, uh, last week we spoke about Ray Rice, um, him winning the appeal, and being eligible to sign with any NFL team in the league. Um, well, there's been an update in regards to the NFL and the consequences as it relates to domestic violence. And it simply reads, the NFL teams have unanimously endorsed a new personal conduct policy for all NFL employees. After discussions that included experts on domestic violence and sexual assault, the league announced actually today. The new measures include a more extensive list of prohibited conduct, independent investigative procedures, and a baseline suspension of six games without pay for violations involving assault, battery, domestic violence, dating violence, child abuse, other forms of family violence or sexual assault, with consideration given to possible mitigating or aggravating circumstances. So really quick panel, um, so we'll touch on this really quickly. Do you think that this is the appropriate consequence versus what they initially did to Ray Rice? And anyone can chime in. I know Ebony watches sports, so if Ebony, you want to take it away first, that's, uh, that's her skin crime. I'll let them go first. I went first to last time. 
Okay. <laughs> so, so Del Rio or Cam, you know, do you think that that I'll, is a I'll, I'll defer to Cam. Okay, Cam, they 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 just passing it on to you. So go ahead. Is this because it's my first time on with y'all? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but um, well, you know, I actually kind of feel really strongly about domestic violence. My mother, she um, she was a victim of domestic violence from my stepfather. He was a great father figure, but he did um, commit a lot of domestic violence. I've seen my mama suck food through a straw, get her head buzzed, all sorts of things. So. I kind of feel strongly about it, and I feel like there's no excuse for a male to put his hands on the woman that he claims he loves. And especially in seeing the Ray Rice video, I don't know. I just feel, even though she says a one-time isolated incident, it's uh-huh. kind of like I know better because uh-huh. I know how these situations work from looking at it for like 17 years Whenever when I was staying with my parents. So I know that it's probably not an isolated incident. So to me... I'm on the I'm a shot of the fence if y'all let me. And I say that only because I feel like the the original punishment was too harsh only because it's not like he's the only one. And mm-hmm. it's not like he's the only one who they've known about. But I feel like they were pressured into a situation when it became public that they had to do something and making him into an example was not necessarily the fairest route they, they could go. So reversing it is good, but now at least they have a policy in place that really addresses the issue and it's mm-hmm. more of a, hey, this is going to be for everybody now. You get what I'm saying? So I'm kind of yeah. glad they reversed it and I'm glad that they addressed the issue head on also, finally. Yeah, Cameron, I actually, um, on the last uh, last week, I asked the panel uh, which included Sebastian on last week, that uh, I, I was like, you know, it didn't look to me, and based on interviews and, and things, and, of course, the video that we all saw, I didn't necessarily think that this was the very first time that this has happened. I could not believe it. And then, you know, um, everyone everyone on the panel said, no, you know, I definitely believe that this is not the first time that this has happened. There's no way. It was just so, it, it was just so quick and just like he had no remorse. Like he just, it was like something he normally does anyway, you know. Um, this particular time, it just looked like maybe she was, um, wasn't was drunk or whatever it may be. But, um, so, so I totally get it, and, and we totally get you um, when it comes down in regards to the isolation. And uh, thank you for sharing your view in regards to you growing up in a, uh, in a home that, you know, had domestic violence. Um, for me, I think that um, I, I'm glad that they have this in place now. You know, um, now in the event that it gets repetitive and the person continues to do so, then, of course, they, they should, um, you know, no longer have that right to play football and to be an example or to be a, be a role model to, to you know, kids and, and to anyone. So I'm glad that they put this in place. Um, you know, they may be, try to or attempt to make him an example, as they always try to with, with you know, certain people of color. But, well, um, but um, go ahead. Um, I, for one, I think it's unfortunate that <clears> – <throat> That now authority figures have to step in and step in and mandate how an individual should live their lives and their and their sense of moral and um, their sense of morality. Um, to me, their rule is passed down, but they can also open up a door to a bunch of other things, such as opportunists. The men are going to have to be very careful now and apprehensive about dealing with women because there are women out there that will target them because they know this rule is in existence and they'll easily be blackmailed and all these other type of things. So that's going to open up a whole other issue, a bunch of issues. So stay tuned to more sports for the drama. Uh, <laughs> as far as the Adrian, Adrian Peterson situation, um, that, 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 that there's a more um, sensitive subject for me. Um, 
because I um you know we all have come from homes where discipline was was very predominant and 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 and, and we were not spared the rod and middle right. Bible says spare the rod you spoil the child and mm-hmm. I think because of the nature of it or, or sometimes the level of things it can be heightened and. And, and to me, I don't feel as though he did anything wrong by chastising his child. Now, they say the level in which he did it, that's yet to be seen because um, no one has actually seen um, the actual footage or anything like that. But I'm, I'm sure that that's not his first child, and you would have to assume that it's done in love. So that's something that I'm that I'm doing further research into. I'm more interested in the situation of Adrian Peterson. I expressed I express my views with the Ray Rice situation last right. week. But I'm more in tune to the Adrian Peterson situation because um, that's more of a um, of a touchy subject for me and various for different reasons. So, Ebony, my question to you: um, when, when does it become child abuse? You know, because we all—I I come from you know—I come from the country, South Carolina. You know, I'm raised just like how my mother and my father were raised. You know, get to go out and get the switch, get a belt, whatever the case may be. You know, so I was raised it that way. It so, to me when other people get involved in something because at the end of the day, back in the day, it it took a village to raise a child, and that saying was so true because. If I did something, I was going to get chastised by every neighbor or every older person that was on my block, you know. So Mm -hmm. I I would get at least three whippings before I got home, and everybody had a different way of chastising you. So now the laws are different, and the laws are changed by people who are just passerbys. I mean, you may see a child do something in the supermarket, and children are very clever and swift nowadays. Children know how to react and cut up because they know they have an audience, and that prohibits a parent from doing their job and disciplining their child because you know how kids do. I know certain times I would do things in public that I know I couldn't get away at home, but maybe that was very short-lived because, not only did my mom do what she had to do, they had other people that was like, okay, well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. So it was different back then because everybody stuck together and they knew it was very important to raise that child because they didn't want the law enforcement people to be able to do that. If you don't raise your child, the government will, you know. Yeah, and, can, and I, can, I, can I push you a, a little bit on this? Because uh, you, you said that there's 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 a difference uh, with you know uh, children uh, growing up now as opposed to when we were growing up, but there's also a difference in parenting because now we see uh, children having and raising children, and they're trying to uh, maintain and trying to uh, some of them are trying to maintain from a, a teenager's perspective of. Uh, Parenting a young child, uh, some of them are totally uh, neglecting their duties as a parent because they don't understand, and the generation before them was the same situation, and they don't understand either. So I think a lot of it, it it goes both ways. You have children who are very clever. I work in schools, so I know how clever they are, and the things that they use, the, the way that they can manipulate uh, the system to get what they want. Uh, Regardless of what you're doing, even if it's positive reinforcement, they're going to manipulate the system to get what they want. Uh, my thing is this. Uh, parents have fallen in that as well because a lot of parents, uh, like you're saying, the kids don't act out at home, but they'll act out. And adversely, you have parents who will not discipline at home, but when they get out in the public, then they want to show off or uh, give this, this aura or this look of 
uh, supremacy over these kids. And, and, and mind you, these are their kids, so they can can give that type of look. But when 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 there's and and, and I experience this every day, so I I have a a, a little. Uh, you know, not a lot of expertise, but a little bit as because we have parents who never, uh, obviously, because when the kids come to school, we can tell from their behavior that they're not being uh, disciplined uh, and chastised at home correctly, and 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 and, and that's even a tricky situation of of, of how we chastise kids uh, to get an expected end, and so then they come to school, and then parents want to be irate because. And, and and then you know it's a show because the first thing the parents say when they don't discipline them at home, but they bring them to school and, di- and, and want to discipline them in the public, first thing they say is, don't come out here embarrassing me. Okay, That's real, the first thing no, you hear come out of their mouth. I'm all about solutions. And this mm-hmm. is a conversation I've had with several of my girlfriends in private. Um, this didn't just start. So when did you think, or when, in your opinion, did we lose this cycle where family and community stuck together. Um, and this generation, unfortunately, was not to blame for this, and this happened before. Right. Um, right. So when did you see, when did you notice, or when do you think from your observation that this tapestry started to change in the way that families were being raised and the family presence was being altered? I think it, I think it was a uh, – so So if we if we speak uh, in a in a generalized sense, uh, then I'll have to answer one way. But if we're speaking of like the African American community, then I can answer another way. Uh, so if if we're speaking of the African American community, I think uh, this happened because it happened in ways. Of course, it happened during slavery when uh, fathers and mothers and children were torn apart and the nuclear family was uh, dismantled. And I think again during the civil rights era, though you had a lot of parents out fighting for rights and and, 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 and and freedoms and things of that nature. I think during the fifties and the sixties, which which I think was, you know, that, that second wave of struggle, I think that's where a lot of that happened again. I don't think it happened right in our generation, but I do think it happened the generation right before us where there was so much struggle and a lot of our fathers and grandfathers were arrested and once again and even mothers and grandmother. And so once again, you had that pulling away and dismantling of the family, the nuclear family, where now you have a, 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 uh, a, a you know, kids raising kids or older sisters raising younger brothers and things of that nature. So I think personally, personally for the black community, that's where it happened. Okay. okay. I, 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 go ahead, Cam. I want to debate. I want to debate that thought a little bit, Dario, because I, I kind of disagree to an, mm-hmm. a, a certain ex- extent. Because mm-hmm. I actually do blame it on my generation, the '80s babies mm-hmm. and the '90s babies, the late and the '70s babies. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like once we grew up, we got in this whole thing where we were because we got disciplined so much, and because we were raised with some iron fist in some cases, we got to this mm-hmm. point where we say, "I don't want my kids to go through that," and that's not what I'm gonna do to my kids. And so okay. we started to want to be our children's friends as opposed to the parents. And I think okay. somewhere along the lines we got those lines blurred and then that respect level that we was once raised. Because, you know, when we were coming up, we didn't have a choice in who we was going to respect and who we wasn't. It was like right. everyone who's older than you is yes, ma'am, no, sir. Mm-hmm. As opposed right. to nowadays, it's kind of like you don't know them, you don't owe them nothing. And so I kind of place the blame at the doorstep of our generation because we're the ones who started raising our kids differently when, as yeah. opposed to when we were coming up. 
So can we wedge the blame between the two? I agree with both of you. Um, to a large extent, and I'm also leaning on the direction of Cam because I see now how parents have raised their kids to have this individual instinct, and they have raised the kids to think that only people in their initial household are the key figures. They are raised not to pay attention to what's and adhere to the directions and instructions from other elders or people their age, which was the larger problem for me. They took the community out of they took the community involvement out of it and made it totally within the home. So once you told the kids that nothing outside of their home mattered, the kids started to refrain from listening and adhering to instructions from other people. So I agree with you totally on that, Cam. Um, so Ebony, okay. from so so from that perspective, which you're speaking. You also have to take in that there are other factors that played a role in why parents started parenting their kids that way. A, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the the crimes of molestation and 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 sexual child abuse started to hit its peak around the 70s, and so that's why you had. I'm 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 speaking of uh, from my perspective with. Thinking it's it's our generation, or the blank can be—I mean, the generation before us, or the blank can be wedged somewhere right between our generation and the generation before us. Because in the seventies, molestation and things of that nature outside of the home, uh, child sex—you know, uh, sexual abuse of children—start to hit its peak uh, in the late seventies. And I think that's where a lot of parents started you know, to, to, to internalize things and say, you know what, look, don't talk to strangers. And, and then you have the late, the, the early 80s where you have, um, what's his name, the, the crime dog and things of that nature starting to come out and saying, don't, don't talk to strangers, don't go with strangers, things of that nature. And even though a, a kid, if, the, if a parent is not defining what a stranger is, if if the parent is allowing the kid the, the school to define what the stranger is, then then we have a different issue there. So everyone became a stranger who didn't live inside of the home, and so a lot of kids started not listening, in my opinion, to those who are who are elders who maybe their parents trusted, but the kid heard this is a stranger. So of course I'm not going to listen to this person because. To me, this is a stranger. And if they're never, if there's never a definition put on what a stranger is for that kid, of course they're going to view everything outside of the home as a stranger. So, I mean, let let me uh, let me ask. Let me I, ask I, I brought let me, that up. I brought that point up because there are several variables that we can go with in this. Every, every everything that each of you said makes sense. But my mm-hmm. thing is, I like to have that type of open dialogue so we can come up with a solution so we can collectively come up together to help with a solution, even though, I mean, some of us may have biological kids of our own, but we are our, we all are involved with kids to a certain degree yeah. in our families, yeah. whether it be our nieces or nephews, and we all can add to mm-hmm. the upbringing and the positive upbringing of um, our of the fam- of the kids in our family. So that's this- something that I found um, very interesting, and, all, and both of you guys raised valid points and they all take aways and, and, and they all make sense because those are topics I have covered and I'm just okay. delightful. I want to say this. Um, I wanna, well, I want to ask this question because I can't remember for the life of me who asked who, who I had the discussion with. But it was I know that it was not too long ago, um, like maybe a week, but I still can't remember who it was. But someone said that they feel like the, the, the babies, the 80s babies, um, uh, walk around with a sense of entitlement. So I, do do you 
Do you all cause interview on, on, on this panel? Do you think that the '80s baby? Because I'm an '81 baby. Do you think that? Um, I don't think it, but they say that you know that we have a sense of entitlement. So do you think that at all? Like, and that could be the reason why we have allowed, or parents have allowed, or, or the way that the parents, of course, bring you know raise us or whatever. But I don't think it's just the '80s baby thing, Amica. I, I really think, unfortunately, it 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 it's it, it's African American thing. Yeah. I mean, we walked through life with a false sense of entitlement for various reasons. We were oppressed and we were victims. And that victim mentality has really hindered us from being successful when soaring to our peak because we all feel as though we are owed something because of something we have experienced. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you don't take responsibility for something you experience, you're cheating yourself out of the most valuable lesson you ever learned. Mm-hmm. You know, in spite of things happening, you have to learn from them and come up with your own solution because once you go through things, it's not for you. It's for you to share with other people to help them not go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you because, have to make well, your, because, your message. And, and, Ebony, I totally agree with that. But because we and, – and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, making this, I'm not making this point to say that this is right. I'm just making this point to say that this is where we are because we live in such a Burger King uh, – Society, burger, have it your way, mm-hmm. have it your way, um, mm-hmm. and 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 we and we want it now. So we don't look at the long term, uh, 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 you know, the 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 way that that things can yield in the long term. We're worrying about uh, what are we getting out of the situation. So when when and we're not looking back to draw a reference that when uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, those who came with him during the civil rights era, when they marched, they did not march for themselves because they knew that certain things were, were not going to happen in their time. They marched for us. And so we are so selfish in, 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 in our generation to whereas we, and, and, and I, I remember someone, and, and, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean to take it to uh, religion, but I mean some, remember someone saying this about the Jews, that at, at a certain time the Jews, the, the Jews were uh, a people who believed in antiquity, something that black people believed in for years, meaning culture, history, uh, rich culture and history. And they passed this antiquity down uh, generation after generation, and, 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 and they didn't lose it. But, but I remember the Bible says somewhere that uh, at a certain time there arose uh, a king, and this king was, was evil, and he wasn't after God's heart, and he turned the people away from God. And I feel like sometimes uh, with us in our culture and tradition right now, I just think there's a generation that has rose up that has turned our whole race against those antiquities. And so we don't even look back to draw reference anymore. We just think we have it all, so we're going to do it our way and we're going to do it now. It comes from a lack of knowledge for the most part, Micah. Um, I I was I want to have a workshop, especially with transgender um, sisters of mine, about the Willie Lynch letter and how some of the things in the letter that um, the, the teachings are still a part of us every day. He used the most valuable, the most thing, the thing that he used the most to really separate us as a people. He used our differences to separate us yes, and our differences yes. that we go through in life every day. Even though we are unified on the one thing, which is color, we are separated by textures of color. We are separated right. by characteristics, you know, and those are the several things that they have used as tools to navigate us further and further away from each other and has categorized and, and made us in competition with one another. 
you know, where there's right. light and brown skin, people with soft hair and people with more more kinky hair. Those type of things those type of things are really things that are that were a part of the Willard and Slutter that he used to train a slave. And those things are still being implemented and we glorify these things without having knowledge of knowing why these things were even implemented. So it goes back to the origin. We have to first understand how we got to be where we are so we can understand better understand how we can change that. Most definitely, and, and I, that's that's, and, that's and, one. And, go ahead, and let me let me, let me let me stop you, um, Delrio, because I, I want to be able, I want us to be able to move on, and I also want us to be able to, um, you know, chime into with the callers as well. Well, you guys bring up great points. I love it. Um, and again, I you know, it, one topic can always stem to another. Um, but uh, so I do encourage everyone to um, research, as Ebony said, you know, like when she was speaking of the Willie Lynch letter, um, definitely research it, read on it. Um, and then also the the Willie Lynch syndrome. So all of the, all of those things, um, we bring up those points, and we cannot speak to everything. History and things that, of course, still affect us today. So what I want to do now is I want to go to a call because there was a caller that um, I I have a feeling I know who this may be, <laughs> but I'm going to press. Uh, I'm going to allow them to come on and you know say their comment or their question, and then we'll move on to the to the next thing on the agenda. Um, and Cameron, don't be so silent <laughs> over there. So hold on one second. <laughs> hold, on, hold on one second for me, yeah. All right, this is area code five zero four. Last four number, last four digits of six six nine one. You are live on the talk with Mike and friends. Please state your name, your location, and your comment or your question, please. Yeah, Mike, you're right. You know who you know who this is. I'm Ricky. I'm from New Orleans, <laughs> and okay. I kind of and what what I I, I want to kind of address the family issue thing because I truly mm-hmm. believe I firmly believe in the, tra- the traditional family. Of a, a one man, one female, I believe in that because I, I believe it it, prov- it provides a balance. If there's a male in the home, that male gets to see his father treat his mother the way that a female should be treated. If it's a female in the home, that female gets to see the way a male should treat a father, the way a male should treat a female, as well as the the, the way a female should be there to support. And nourish her husband. I believe that the man should be the provider for the household. That's just me. I'm more of a traditional family guy. And I okay. think our society and a lot of the problems within the black community kind of reflects what's lacking is that traditional family sense. And it's because most of our kids, especially the ones that goes out and commit a crime, most of those young men grow up in single parents and homes. And you have to, mm-hmm. and when you, and, and, and when, and I'm also speaking as far as, as my field of study is social work. I'm active in that mm-hmm. field. I'm registered, mm-hmm. so I, I I see children. I work with children daily on a, on a daily basis. So when I everything I, that I'm saying, I'm saying based that, that's based off research that can be backed mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. read on statistics. Even here in New Orleans, just about every crime that's committed. You can that 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 young man that has committed that crime probably grew mm-hmm. up in a single parent parenting household. You know that's, and let me that's, say a, this, that's a well known fact. And, 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 and let me say this, um, Ricky, um, and 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 I'm not disputing that whatsoever because you know I believe that to be true, and I'm sure there are statistics that out there that prove that point. Um, even though my father was in the military and was you know in Germany for the most part of my childhood, 
you know, I grew up in a family where it was just, you know, my mother, she was she was a soul, basically kind of like a soul provider for the most part, you know, in that particular home. But I also believe that, um, to speak to your point in regards to people that are broken single-family homes that go out and they we do all these, you know, crimes, commit crimes, I also believe that it, go, it really goes back to what we were saying earlier in regards to, to family-based. It doesn't, you know, I grew up in a home where, yeah, it was my mother, but I had my grandmother, I had my grandfather, I had my um, three or four uncles, I think. Three uncles. I had my aunts. I had my, you know, I had all of those people around me to support my mother, as you know, in, in regards to raising me. So I think I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there that everyone that grows up in a single family home is going to go out there and commit, or the majority of, you know. Um, but I do know that there are. It also starts with who you have, you know, family wise, because a lot of the times, a lot, especially in this particular day and age, where you know. Family is not the way that it used to be. You know, babies raising babies, they don't have what a lot of us had when we grew up. You see what I'm saying? But, right. you know, it, so so I, I totally understand what you're saying as far as you know, that that does happen. But, you know, we, we have to find a way, um, and this is a question I want to have even for you, Ricky, um, you know, what what do we, what are we supposed to do in order to, what can we do in order to get back to the basics? So, therefore, in the next 15, 20, 30 years, we don't continuously have that, that ever, ever. Who wants to speak? Somebody trying to try me. That goes back to what I was talking about. The, um, that goes back to the Willie Lynch letter. That was all a part of the tool that he used. He did what he did was he took the woman because he you know the woman was the most powerful one because she was the one that was able to bring forth and constantly regenerate. Yeah, what he did right. in front, what he did was he took the man and made the man worthless and powerless to her. Only thing he was used for now was mating. He took away the power of the man, so the woman now feels as though they don't they don't need the man. So if a woman feels that way, his power mm-hmm. and his effect in home is gonna be lessened. Right. Women yeah. have now I mean and, and that's a part of the Willie Lynch letter. All of those things were implemented and they still into effect this day. That's why it's very important that we read better. It's extremely important. So we can better yeah. understand a solution how we can those, personally those, fix things. So, so, hold on, Ricky, one, one okay. second, because I'm, I'm going to allow you to come back in. But so that process or what you were speaking of, um, Ebony, when it came down to the women, was that the portion that's basically considered the breaking process of the African woman? Is that the part where he talks about? Basically breaking yeah, down. Because what okay. he did was in the letter he spoke of how he took the man who was originally the head of the household and he totally made this man powerless and turned him into a piece of crap in front of the woman. And he did this in front of the woman and the woman in return saw how he did this to the man. The woman now began to raise her kid in fear, her male kid especially, right. because she didn't want him to go through what his father just went to. So she right. raised her male kid to be submissive. Gotcha. Okay. Right. I want to throw this in there. Hold on, Cam. Hold on, Cam. Hold on, Cam. Let Ricky finish up because we want to, you know, allow him to finish up, and then we'll drop him off. And then, Cam, you can say what you need. So go ahead, Ricky. Just to kind of pick up what um, what Ebony, Ebony was saying, I, I agree with everything mm-hmm. that she said. And the way that they are carrying out the, 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 the lynch thing, it is through policies. It is through policies such as um, – you know, if a female goes to apply for welfare assistance, she has she has to in order to get that assistance, she has to tell who her baby daddy is, and she has to put that person on child support. You know, um, uh, back back when the uh, welfare thing first started on a tenants, um some some of the qualification was that the male cannot be in the home. If the male was in the home, that automatically disqualified that female. 
for for even getting benefits just because the, just because the meal was in home. So when you speak, the the widow lynch is very much alive and and, and is alive through a lot of the policies that has been set in mm-hmm. set in place primarily by by not to turn any any party, but primarily by the Democratic Party. You know. You know when when you go back and, and you actually look at these policies for the session aid, the um, welfare qualification, and, and uh, all of these things, you you kind of and you do your research, you kind of see what's happening. That when 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 it even goes even goes forward back to where when um, Abraham Lincoln quote unquote freed freed the slaves, he freed the slave, which he didn't really free the slaves, but he did just for the sake of this. He, he freed the slaves, but in there there was an exception, and that exception was that if they were to go to prison. Well, you know, right now African Americans make about roughly about 13% of the population, the total U.S. population. Um, whites make up a, right about 37% of the total U.S. population. According to the FBI, crime statistics as just released in 2013, um, more whites committed far more crimes than blacks. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's provable by statistics on the FBI site. But when you look at the rate of incarceration, you will see that those numbers don't add up because if more whites are committing more crimes, how is it possible for blacks to make up <clears throat> a, a little bit, a little more than fifty percent of the total prison population? It is so. It's, it's, Systematical questions, as you were speaking of. System, the, the really lynch that is true, carried out through systems now. One of the most powerful systematic oppressions that we as black people had to experience was under the Reagan administration with the drug law. <clears throat> what yeah. that did was that totally diminished the effect and the power of a black man. Not only would that one-time mistake hinder him from being 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 a part of society, that will hinder his strength and his power in society. Even if he was convicted of having a crime or even thought of, he would never be able to get a job. He couldn't get no type of government benefits or jobs or even get money to go to school. So his existence now totally depending on that woman. You get what I'm saying? So the whole systematic oppression thing was being carried down, and that cycle was meant to be what it is. So we have to be cognizant of those I'm I'm sorry to cut you out, but at the end of the day, I feel like this. All of and that, Cam, and Cam, and and once you say that, I, I keep um, don't think I'm picking on you, Cam. But no, after you say what you need, say what you need to say, then we'll go ahead and, and move on. <laughs> right, and so we then we'll go ahead and move on to the next. Thank you, Ricky, so much. If you have something else, chime in or or let me know, um, and then I'll bring you back on. Okay, go ahead, Cameron, and then we'll move on. Okay, so my thing is this. At the end of the day, everything that you guys are saying, however, it may be true. However, it's nothing but a bunch of excuses also. Because the thing is, you will never be able to go back in time and undo all the many years of oppression that was done to us and the things that shaped the way that we as a people think. So now it's about overcoming that mindset to get on to new things. And I think what's lacking today is the basic principles and the basic foundation of respect, accountability, and consequence. Our mm-hmm. youth or we as a people, shall I say, I'm include everybody, we fail overall to have a certain respect. And that's not respect for authority or anything like that, but respect for ourselves and who we are as a person, as an individual. We don't respect a lot of times our morals. We compromise those things for the propaganda, which I think is the thing that's sucking everybody in. As far as the Willie Lynch theory is concerned, I don't think it's policy. I think it's propaganda. It's a lack of policy that enhances the method. 
And then when we go into accountability, a lot of people don't take into the take into um take into the consider considerations of things that they do which causes a certain consequence. And we lose sight of these things because we're so busy displacing the blame on how our people were how we well how we were wronged in the past, and we focus on a solution, but we don't focus on the things that's right in front of us, the things that we can, the things that we can change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that's the foundation that's missing. That's what we have to get back to. It's teaching these kids to be respectful and to learn the true meaning of respect. To know that when when you respect someone, you can agree to disagree. When you respect someone, you can let things roll off the slide of your shoulder and know that life still goes on. When you have accountability, that means you think about everything before you do them. When you have accountability, you also consider what's to follow, which leads to the consequence of that action. And I think if we start instilling these basic values that we once had back into the community, then things can start to get better, at least a little bit better, because we can't go back 400 years and undo what was already done. But we can start to make the change and teach teach people that you have to start looking at you first before you look outwards to anybody else. That's my Thank you so very much, Karen, and what we're going to do. That was a lovely, lovely, lovely discussion. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, so I'm going to definitely do my research. And thank you again, Ricky, for um, for calling in. What I want to do now is I want to um, – I have an audio that I do want to play for you all. Um, after the audio plays, then we, we will discuss. So I'll give a, like a little brief synopsis um, after the audio plays, and then we'll actually um, discuss. So just um, hold for me and let me play this audio for, for us. Hold on. Is this a bored child or a threat to public safety? Someone who saw him pacing around a Cleveland park was worried enough to call the police. The guy keeps pulling in his arms. It's probably fake, but you know what? He's scaring the A patrol car arrives at the scene, and seconds later... Shots fired. Male down. Um, black male. Maybe 20. Tamir Rice, who was 12 years old, died later in hospital. His family wanted these recordings released, and the police obliged. This is not an effort to exonerate. It's not an effort to uh, show the public that anybody did anything wrong. Police say Tamir was told three times to raise his hands, but his family questions the speed of the incident. It is our belief that this situation could have been avoided and that Tamir should still be here with us. The video shows one thing distinctly. The police officers reacted quickly. This comes at a time when the country is at boiling point over the treatment of young African Americans by white police. People are furious at the grand jury decision not to prosecute a white police officer who kills Michael Brown. Since his death in August, more than a dozen teenagers have been killed by police. Half were African Americans, many carrying pellet guns, like Tamir's. Laura Westbrook, BBC News. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. So so basically, um, a young 12-year-old boy was in a local park in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was waving and pointing a toy BB gun. An older man in the park called the local 911 center and advised that there was a young guy pulling a gun in and out of his waistband repeatedly. He advised the 911 operator that he thought that the gun was fake, and he said this twice during the phone call. 
But yet, he said, you know, he was still a bit scared. Then the dispatch that caused the police officers never made mention that the guy was either young or that the gun was probably fake, based on the original call from the older man that was actually in the car. When the police arrived to the scene, it was told by it was told by the police, you know, that they asked the guy to put his hands up. He, he lifted the shirt to expose the gun. Never pointed the gun at the police officers. That that is on record. But the twelve year old um, young man was shot twice. The police officer who did sh- um, shoot Tamir Rice was placed on administrative leave with pay and benefits. So to my panel, I want you to you know tell me what you think about the incident you know that happened last month and and what do you think will come of this particular ordeal or just what are your thoughts and concerns in regards to what has happened? Anyone can anyone can chime in. Wow. Um, I have been watching this. I mean, I don't know where to begin. Um, I guess the mere fact that the guy said that it may be fake. Um, they had a few things that were kind of alarming to me. Um, the report, when the guy called in about it, saying mm-hmm. that the gun will be, um, that the gun may be fake was, for one, which was ideal, which, which was, was key to me. Secondly, was the misappropriation of the age, <laughs> 20, he's 12. Right. I mean, looking at the video, he don't look nowhere like he can be nobody 20 years old. I mm-hmm. mean, um, and then on top of the initial, I, I, my question is, because Del Rio, you were a former um, a police officer, um, in situations like that, isn't it your isn't your job as a police officer, the first thing to do is subdue, not kill? So there's a certain... So, there's a, Sensitivity or level of training that y'all receive to hinder to to subdue the person and not kill them. So so in that situation, the the, the first the first thing that should have been done procedurally is that an, an officer, whenever there's a gun involved, an officer should never uh, drive up to the su- a suspect who is uh, allegedly holding a gun. Uh, if you even see a gun. Um, the first thing that should have been done, those officers should have parked in a place where they could have found uh, uh, con- some type of concealment. Uh, and then from wherever they could find concealment, even if it's uh, parking the car a distance, uh, just in case there was, you know, no concealment, they could use the car as concealment, park the car a distance, and then give verbal command. The the, 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 the job of the, the police officer is to de-escalate a situation. The job of police officers is not just to go in as a vigilante uh, and, and become rogue and just uh, shoot just because you see a gun. That is not the job of a police officer. A lot of police officers, a lot of police officers have become dogmatic over the years, and I think it has a lot to do with just in, as in this case where you have a senior officer who is riding with a younger officer, and the younger officer may have may have gotten certain uh, instructions and certain training in the police academy, but when you get on the street, it's almost like the movie Training Day. Uh, when you get on the street, we live by different rules when we get out here. You know, we don't we don't wait for them to uh, we don't wait for them to shoot us, and that's the mentality we have. We don't wait, and we, which is a good mentality. But when you have a, a kid who's not threatening, who's not pointing a gun. He went, he went, you say he went for his waistband. Okay, so he went to his waistband. A 12, in a 12-year-old's mind, he probably was going to his waistband to let the police officer know, hey, I have a gun. Obviously, he wasn't trying to kill you because it was a toy gun. Second of all, when you look at the video, you see a kid playing with a gun and throwing snow up in the air simultaneously. There is no 
thug that lives on the face of the earth that's going to just play in snow at a park where there are people and he's waving a gun in a threatening manner and he doesn't use it. That, it, 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 it. Those facts don't even jive. And so the thing that I do applaud is the, the uh, for the most part, is uh, the media in general. Now, there was a media outlet that handled this the, uh, the wrong way called the Northeast Ohio Media Group. They, I think they handled it the wrong way. The first thing they did was they went after the criminal records of Tamir, Rice, uh, Tamir Rice's parents. But I think the media as a whole handled this right because the media did go after the uh, personnel files of the two officers. And, 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 and a lot of what uh, Micah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stop because a lot of what I want to talk about if you get into this part is the personnel files of the officers versus the shooting. This was it, this was unequivocally a bad shooting. I mean, there's no way around this. This was a bad shooting. This was a report written by two officers that did not was not corroborated by the video that was shown. Obviously, these officers were not aware of this video footage. Uh, prior to uh, this this incident, so I think it's an open and shut case. Personally, of course, we've mm-hmm. seen in 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 you know recent uh, in the 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 past you know recent past that open and shut cases don't you know are not really open and shut. So if we get into this part with the officer's background, then I'd like to talk about that. But I'm going to go ahead and defer. Okay. I um okay. well one thing that I did when I was um, looking up some other things um, over the past few days, one thing that alarmed me and just really freaked me out was the fact that um, the young the young guy, Tamir, did not, he was not in the park alone. Um, his, sister was, his sister was with him and, and one other person, I don't know if it was a cousin or something of that nature, I don't remember, but... Yeah, um, his cousin his, and his sister. But, but his sister was there with him, and then when the when the sister found out, hey, that her brother is shot, this and the other. Of course, she's trying to get over there to him, this and the other. The police basically kind of threatened her, put her in the police car. You know, then the kids, uh, I think she said, kids or someone knocked on her door on on the mother's door and say, hey, right. Tamir's been shot. You know, because uh, so that tells me right there that the park wasn't far from the house. From where they live, right? It was you across, know, the park is actually across the street from the house, directly across the street from the house. Right. So, so then when the mother comes or whatever, you know, and she's trying to get to her son as any mother would, you know, and should, you know, they're gonna they threaten her and say, you, you know, so it was like, do you guys not know what you have just done? You know what I'm saying? So, like, so, it, it, so Micah, I, yeah, I understand your your I understand your 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 plight with that part, but let me offer the other side of that. And as much the other as side I of what? don't like the, the the other side of what you're saying right now, the the the, the justification for why they do that, uh, per pol- police procedures. All right, so I don't agree with nothing that happened out there, but with that part right there. When you have a scene, and it's called we call them hot scenes. When you have a hot scene, it could be it could be anybody. It doesn't matter. And the mother is the ultimate uh, personality in this situation when a, a, a little child is dead. Because it's a, a crime scene involving an officer, per procedures, you can't just allow those uh, allow parents or family members or friends onto a hot scene where there's evidence, there's ballistic evidence because there's shell casings now, there's blood, there's bullets inside of a body, there's a gun in the waistband mm-hmm. of a child. I totally, there's I, a I lot of, to cut you off. I totally get it. 
I'm I'm not mm-hmm. speaking out. I, I totally get that. You know, I, I see enough. <laughs> I hate to bring it up, but I see enough first 48. I I I, I mm-hmm. see, and we've all seen where they've had scenes, and you know they they have the things roped off, and I get that. You know what I'm saying? But it's also a way of handling it. You see what I'm saying? Well, Michael, like we don't we ahead. don't know. I'm not defending the officers. We don't know how the family went at the offices. We just have to be honest. We know that we as a people are very high strung, and when we're passionate about something, especially our family, sometimes we can be a little irrational. And okay. in that case, she's justified for being irrational. But the police still has a procedure, and them saying, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arrest you or putting mm-hmm. the, 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 the younger sister in handcuffs, it was a situation, maybe, maybe, I'm not justifying, but maybe it was a situation where it needed to happen. She wasn't arrested. She was just put in handcuffs, yeah. and, and that's done to just kind of separate that person from the scene a lot of times and get them calm, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, but I, 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 I want to bring I, another perspective I don't into it. it before you, Cameron, before you say this, I, will, I, will, I got to interject. I got to say this. You say we people know. I don't think it's I, – I, I don't I think it's anybody. Anybody, I don't, you know, black, white, yellow, green, Mexican. I, I think anybody's going to be that way. All of us are going to. But be this is a black person we're talking about. That's why I'm I, saying I, we, no, I mean, because I, it's a black no, person. I, I totally understand, but I, you know, I have other people that listen as well, so I don't want to make it seem like it's all. It, it is a black, white issue, unfortunately, you know, because of the people that are involved. But when it, I'm just speaking to when you said, as far as you know, how we are. No, I think that's how everyone is when it comes down to their family. That's just what I'm. That's just all that I want to say. So Cam, go ahead and okay. um, say what you want to say. I want to say this because my thing is I'm outraged at the entire situation, but the thing that I'm paying to paying attention to the most is the person who called it in because that yeah. person. Yeah. Is the one who contributes to the problem, and he's the reason why these protests are going on right now. Mm-hmm. He is the reason, the caller, because, number one, you have a kid playing in a park. Like he said, he's throwing snow up in the air just as well as pointing a gun. Right. Now, to right. me, I can't see how the little kid looked threatening, but you made a phone call into the police saying that you're scared, mm-hmm. and you're saying that the gun is fake, and that there's a kid playing with a gun in a park, and it's fake. What mm-hmm. purpose does it deserve to, deserve to even call that in to begin with? Mm-hmm. It's because this is this is the issue, which is where white people tend to overlook. And even mm-hmm. some of us blacks, even though blacks commit crimes and they go, they they basically go off our stereotype. You know, mm-hmm. they instead of seeing as this one black person who committed this one crime as that black person who committed a crime as that individual, they look at it as all blacks are criminals. Yeah. Do you kind of follow what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so looking yeah. at the fact that this one guy committed an individual act of crime. But when it comes to us, what black people tend to do is we forget about the history of white folks. Because let's be honest, they have a history that's a little bit worse than ours. <laughs> you get what yeah. I'm saying? But mm-hmm. when they commit crimes, we don't look at them as, as all white people are this and that. We look at them as individuals, which is what people fail to do for our race. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that is the number one issue that we have. They never they give everybody the benefit of a doubt except for us. Because right. that was why can't, why can't, why can't at, one point, at one point, can you have to understand, we are powerful people, and our unity is what made us so powerful so it was impossible for you to impact one without ten other people responding. Unity was the most important element that we once had that kept us and helped us 
prevail over certain things, and that's the one of the most important elements that we have lost in every other race and culture have now identified with and picked up. The thing that made us strong, we have lost, and other people have found our strength. So at one point in time, we, we were a unit. There was right. no individualism. We were not individuals. We talk about how community. Black people were notorious for communities. Back in the day, we didn't have to worry about looting and all that because if something happened, we didn't have to patronize the other stores because we had, we our, had our own. own. That's right. We had our own. We were a unit. We had unity. We have lost that. Um, uh, I, I want to ask you guys this. What do you think will happen and what do you hope will happen? Now, they could be the same. But what do you think will happen with the situation, and what do you hope will happen? I'll I'll go first if you want me to, Micah. I go ahead. I um I think uh, that there's going to be an indictment uh, because I I can see the trend of the police department now uh, in a in a very subtle way starting to throw the rookie officer under the bus because they're. Uh, approving, you know, certain information to be released, which should always be, but it's not commonplace. So we're watching the police chief, and they're releasing this information about him, about his former, you know, the things he did on his former job, and this and that and the other. And so I think I think there's going to be an indictment. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a, uh, a once it goes to trial, I don't think it's going to be a first-degree murder or anything like that. I think it may result in, like, a manslaughter or something of that nature. Uh, that's what I think, and that's what I hope would happen, honestly. Okay. Now, I'm adding your camera. And I'm, what I'm, you, I'm kind of with Dario. I think um, – I personally <laughs> do think there will be an indictment considering um, the officer's record and things like that. However, I don't think there would be a conviction. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think there would be an indictment, but I don't think there would be a conviction when it goes to trial overall. Why do you think there would be a conviction? Why do you think there would not be a conviction? conviction? It, it, there's, a, there's a few things that would come into play with this thing. I think the only reason why, because they already don't want to indict this man, first of all, but I think with the trend that's going on in America and the outcry for justice mm-hmm. right now, I think mm-hmm. they're left with no choice but to indict this guy. But I right. feel like that will only be to pacify the nation and to kind of say, okay, I'm giving y'all something. You get what I'm saying? I think it's kind of, it'll be one of those things where they're doing it begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. And so when it gets to the actual trial and everything like that, I feel like personally there won't be enough effort made on behalf of this child to even proceed with a conviction. Well, Cam, I'm, I'm going to say why, why I believe it will. Uh, first of all, the, uh, the governor uh, I think the governor of Ohio, I think his name is uh, Kasich, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, he is a, re- a Republican governor, but uh, he has been in the past very, uh, you know, f- for the lack of words, and uh, I guess we can take this very lightly, very uh, sympathetic towards uh, uh, civil rights issues, uh, even though he's a very, very, very conservative governor. He's shown in the public to be sympathetic to uh, civil rights issues, and mm-hmm. mainly because of the uh, urban areas of Cleveland and Cincinnati, of course, uh, which carry a, 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 a big piece of the pie when it comes to uh, politics, voting, and things of that nature. So I do believe that there's a possibility, and to, 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 to throw on top of that, 
the uh, the uh, a few of the elected officials. Uh, I think her name is Nina Turner, and I think she's the Secretary of State, if I'm not mistaken, is an African American female, and she's out uh, ahead of all of this, and she's pushing uh, for a special prosecutor uh, in this case. And so I think there's a lot of elements here that that's going to play different than. Uh, in Missouri, where you have a a, a blue dog Democrat uh, governor who is more conservative than most Democrats in our country, and every and and the, and, and the the local state house and senate is more conservative. So this is not just a, in my opinion, a black white issue. This is a black white issue. This is a political issue, and this is a police against black issue. So it, it's mm. three different dynamics we have working here, but I think in Ohio, in the case of Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the assistant chief of police in at, at this department who's also an African-American. So I think you have a lot of dynamics here that's going to weigh more in favor of justice, not black, but justice. Brian, okay. you said something last phone call that was so profound. And at the end of the day, um, police officers know the rights when we don't, and they know how yes. to manipulate and word things. So, 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 so articulation, articulately, yes. and they know how to make things look like something at night. Um, if you look at that phone call, there are certain things they can use in a phone call to cover their wrongdoing. I mean, at the end, just like with the guy in New York with the cigarettes or whatever, there are certain things that they could use. Because they say he began to walk away, that still can be grounds for them to do what they need to do. When they told him to stop, they say he went to race. They can use all of these things. So I'm very, I, I mean, I, honestly, I would want to say that justice is going to be done, but I don't know how they're going to do because there are situations where they still can make an opportunity out of it. Mm-hmm. So, so, and I want, so and, and, they and, want to do. Okay. I want to say this because I want us to move along. But uh, was that their real time to chime in? <laughs> Yeah, but go ahead. Go okay. ahead, Michael. Are you sure? Are you sure? I'm not, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I just want to say, you know. Because know, you know I, how passionate I am about I, I, this I, I case. Do. I'm more I, passionate about this case than I was about Mike Brown or Eric right. Gardner. Like, this is a kid, and I'm really passionate, and I really, dis, honestly, I, this made me dislike the police. Eric Brown, I, I mean, uh, Mike Brown, I, I had my uh, views back and forth on that. Eric Gardner, I, w- I thought that was open and shut. He's an mm-hmm. adult, and I, I'm not saying kill black adults, but this is a kid, and I'm I, I'm really furious and frustrated about it. So I really have so many opinions about it. So that's why I'm trying to restrain, but at the same time, get out as much as I can. And and no, not a problem. And um and you have every right as as us all. I mean, it it was a kid, and I want to see more talk about it. You know, we had a lot about Mike Brown. Had a lot about Eric Garner, but we need to talk about this twelve-year-old kid who didn't even stand a chance, to be honest. But um, I yes. want I want to challenge you know it is for all of us to know our rights. Eddie brought a, brought up a great point when it comes down to the police know the rights and then the procedures and all this good stuff. But sometimes we don't. The majority of us don't. You know what I'm saying? So you mm-hmm. know it is it is for us and even myself. You know it's. I want to challenge everyone, you know, to take a minute. It's okay when you're at work, when you're in your break, when you're not doing anything, just look up some of those things. Look at look look up what are your rights as, you know, a civilian or, you know, a person out there, just, you know, a, a citizen, you know, out there when you're driving your car and you get stopped. We talked about that last, um, the last episode, like, check out, you know, those resources. They're available to us. Let's use them. You know, we'll talk about social media in just a second, you know, but, you know, stop using it. For, you know, you can use it to your advantage. You know, not always about talking about people and this and the other, but also use the Internet 
um, to, to better yourself and to know your rights, you know, when you're out and about. Um, I, I want to play this quick audio. It's, I say it's quick, but it's not, but it's quick. Um, I want to play this quick audio <laughs> uh, of an 11-year-old young black boy that lives in Ferguson. And once the audio plays, I want you, my panel, as well as everyone out there, um, to just really think about, you know, what he's talking about in this interview that he had um, with a journalist. And while you're thinking, you know, after, you know, it plays and everything, I'm going to go right into our our um, weekly Grand Gorgeous and Gag segment, and then we'll be right back. So um, to my panel, you definitely, I want you guys to listen to what this young, um, this young man has to say, and then we'll be right back in just a second. So hold for me, please. In Ferguson, Missouri last month, after a police officer shot and killed an unarmed 18-year-old Michael Brown, amid all the anger and shouting on the streets, a boy approached the microphone at a meeting of the St. Louis County Council. I would just like to say that the people of Ferguson, I believe, don't need tear gas thrown at them. I believe they need jobs. I believe the Meet 11-year-old Marquise Govan. Uh, where are all the African-American police officers in our community. In two minutes' time, he tackled Ferguson's problems with unemployment, housing, and diversity. You're paying attention to the looting and things like that when the real issues aren't being solved. There's a reason why those people are out there. <laughs> Council Chair Hazel Irby. And I thought he was right on. He, he's exactly right. You know, the jobs, the uh, education, all of that had everything to do with what, ha what happened in Ferguson. You know, what I saw on television was basically your backyard. But what did it feel like to watch those protests and the escalation of troubles that inspired you to write that speech? There has always been a problem, even when Ferguson never happened. The minority community, we need more African-American police officers. But who in your school aspires to grow up and be a cop? Look, let me tell you why. Anybody? No, no let me tell you why. This. From the beginning, we felt abused by these people. Why would you go up to serve among the abusers? It doesn't make any sense. If you think Marquise is a young man with a future, and he does, well, it didn't always seem that way. What's your story? You started life, you didn't have an easy life. No, not from the beginning. A uh, regular child would grow up in America and have two lovely parents and family of four. That didn't happen. Uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's a regular, that's a regular American family. But in especially in the minority community, it's totally different. I didn't grow up in the good conditions. As soon as I came out my mother's stomach, I wasn't with her anymore. I was completely in the foster care and then completely with my great-grandmother. That's, that's how it happened from the beginning. His great-grandmother and guardian, Jenny Bracey, first brought a nine-year-old Marquise along when she went to vote. After that, she says, Marquise just took over. When I go to the poll, he said, okay, he said, we're voting for this person, that person, that person. We're voting okay. for. We are voting. <laughs> and so he said, put your X there, put your, put your check there, put your check there. He said, okay, you want me to hit the confirm? Boom. Would <laughs> like, you trust him? Yes, I do. There is a certain magic to knowing in sixth grade what the rest of your life is going to be about. Are you a politician? Are you currently a politician? No. I wouldn't call myself that. So what do you call yourself if not a politician? Um, if I weren't for my um, office here in Missouri, I would call myself a Missourian, a true Missourian who understands the You are such a politician. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. You got because it. I am a Missourian. I do believe in ideals. I have my ideals that I know Missourians support. And I'm sorry to say, While other kids are playing video games at home, Marquise is watching cable news nonstop. He's reading President Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope, and he hopes to be a senator, maybe even president, one day. Why do so many people want to be president? It looks like such a hard job. It is. But look, I'm not there for the title. I would be there to do a job. Marquise Govan will be old enough to run for president in 2040. Make a note. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Grand, Gorgeous, and Gag. My name is Joelle Canales, and I'm a licensed skincare expert. Today's topic is making sure that we thoroughly cleanse our skin every day. I recently found a skincare brand called Tata Harper. They carry a purifying cleanser that delivers high-performance results without a drop of synthetic chemicals. What does this mean? This means that you get pure ingredients and not just water and fragrance. This 3-in-1 cleanser uses foaming sugars to release toxins from your skin. Great for men and women everywhere. But what I love most about Tata Harper is that they make bottle, package, and ship everything from their headquarters in Vermont. What company does that? No one. Imagine this. Order at a restaurant, and the restaurant sends your order next door and lets someone else cook it in their kitchen. Yeah, I wouldn't want that either. I want to know where the product came from and who is making it if it's going on my skin. Tata Harper is 100% all-natural and non-toxic. It's like liquid gold for your skin. Until next time, this is Joel Canales signing off. Catch us next time on the next segment of Grand, Gorgeous, and Gag. No more, it's none of my business. No more, he didn't mean it. No more, not my problem. No more, she was flirting with him. No more, she was asking for it. No more, boys will be boys. No more, I'll say something next time. No more bystanding. No more ignorance. No more excuses. No more. All right, all right. Welcome back to the talk with Mike. Uh, thank you so very much, Joel Canales, um, for the Grand Gorgeous and Gag. And that was a no more PSA in regards to, you know, um, domestic violence. Um, but let's go back really quickly, really, really quickly. I just want you guys, I just want to ask you guys, you know, um, what did you think about the 11-year-old from, from Ferguson? You know, um, were his points valid? Did he make any sense to you? So, you know, what, what did you take away from that, and, and what did you think about it? I think it's amazing, and that goes back to what I say every time I'm on here, Michael, how education is very important. If you give the person the right education, they formulate their own conclusion and solution from it, and he understands the issues that that arise and the issues that exist, but he's taking time to educate himself outside of that because he wants to be a part of decision and solution making, and I think that's extremely important. Another thing that I want to say um, we, as the African-American community, we glorify the wrong, the wrong images and the wrong agendas. Unfortunately, because he, um, he's very intelligent, very well-spoken and things of that nature, even if you look at the video footage, he's yeah. not, quote-unquote, the stereotypical black guy that we would he's celebrate not. in our African-American yeah. society. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? He's very soft-spoken in some areas and things, but he's a child. But that's one of the things that we don't promote. If you look on Facebook, you see people promoting little five-year-olds acting like pimps or thugged out, as they call it, or dressed in a certain type of way. And those are the type of things that, we're solidif- that, 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 that we are giving celebrities 
to. We're not giving celebrity to the child who's universal, who's universal with their beliefs and their education and their views on the world and things like that. And I think we have to get back to celebrating people and the kids who have an ideal outside of our personal agendas and what matters now. Most definitely. Love it, Ebony. Love it. I totally agree. Um, Cameron, um, Dario, any, any comment in regards to what you heard? He was great. I'll vote for him. <laughs> I would, too. I would, too. Cameron? I was just going to say he just gave me a little bit of hope. <laughs> he gave me yeah, a little bit of hope. Right. And, yeah, and we as, all, as they we tear all down our hope, he, he um, kind of gave me a little bit of it. Yes. Good, because we know we know you're going to become a politician one day too. So um, <laughs> I want to uh, I want to we want to talk I want to talk about you know some gay stuff now, um, but not you know some stuff that that matters. <laughs> no, 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 some stuff that matters and some things that you know we need to talk about. So I'm going to start with this. Um, over over the weekend, Republicans um, in the Michigan State House uh, passed a license to discriminate bill that would give just about anyone the right to refuse service to LGBT people if, conflicted with, if it conflicted with their religious beliefs. Um, the broadly written Religious Freedom Restoration Act would allow, for example, an EMT to refuse emergency treatment to a gay person or a pharmacist to refuse to refill HIV medication because God decreed gays and lesbians should be put to death. The measure is similar to one in Arizona that even right-wing Governor uh, Jan Brewer thought went too far in vetoed. As the new civil rights movement points out, the act is too, um it, it the act is so broad it will let a Catholic high school refuse to hire a Muslim janitor. It will refuse uh, a, a DMV clerk could deny a new driver's license to someone who is divorced. So Michigan Speaker Boger fast tracked the bill which passed fifty nine to fifty along with party lines. He says, I support individual liberty and I support religious freedom. I have been horrified as some have claimed that a person's faith should only be practiced while hiding in their home or in their church. If it passes in the Michigan Senate and is signed by Governor Rick Snyder, a Republican, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act will become law. He says, the idea that we need to restore religious freedom, rights that are already enshrined in the U.S. Constitution, is a farce created by conservative lawmakers for the sole purpose of appeasing their far-right donors and the religious rights. Um, in a supreme bit of irony, the Michigan House over the weekend to pass a non-discrimination bill that protects the LGBT community, and they say no one from the LGBT community has ever had fire hoses turned on them by the police department. They have never had to drink out of an LGBT water fountain, and that came from Pastor Stacey Swim. She told the House committee that considered the measure. Um, there is no record of LGBT homosexuals, lesbians being forced to sit at the back of the bus in an LGBT section. So, with all of that said, in, in, in regards to the um, the Michigan uh, House pass, trying to pass the bill allowing EMS, or, excuse me, EMS or MTs um, to refuse treatment to gay people, what what do you all have to say about that? And and really, what what does it say about where we are right now? You know, we talk about black people and what we're going through, but what about what we're going through and and what could possibly happen with us in the long run? I, I'll start it off. <clears throat> First of all. If you are a type of person where you refuse to do your job because someone don't agree with basically your beliefs, then that speaks to the kind of person who you are. That speaks to your own morality. And when it comes to religion, it contradicts itself in that whole clause. 
if you want to say, oh, I love God, I love his people, but I don't have to deal with them. I don't have to deal with anybody who is not on that same caliber, who don't believe in my same God. I don't believe in, I don't have to deal with them or help them or do my godly duties. Then that goes against your own religion, which is why, I, I mean, I dare say this live. You know, I don't believe in organized religion. Mm-hmm. I don't for I'm some with of you, those I'm with you. reasons. Because there's nothing but a – religion to me says this is what I believe in. This is my connection with God. So I'm throwing my beliefs off on you. And if you don't believe this, then you're wrong. You can't tell people to go and develop their own relationships with what you guys call God, or you can't tell them to develop their relationship with Buddha, Muhammad, Mary, Mother of Jesus, and all these people. Then when they develop their own relationships, they come back and share them with you, and you say, no, you're wrong because you're supposed to believe this because this is what I believe in. Right. I just and we, like and, that whole and, and, and we'll get, and we'll get on that. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I really hope that this, this is not passing. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me, you know. And just that part when he said, you, um, uh, what, did, what did he say? I've been horrified as some have claimed that a person's faith should only be practiced while hiding in their home or in their church. So they're trying to say, oh, now we have to practice, practice your faith on your job? No. You know, I, I work in corporate America, and we can't even have conversations about religion, you know, among one another because it can offend the person in, in the next office or the next queue down. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, no, if we can't do that job, then we, you're, not, you're not about to do it on your job or refuse someone their medication or a few someone's service because they've been shot or whatever because, because oh they're gay so I'm not going to you know mess with them or I'm not going to assist them in whatever you know that goes out the window when you accept okay. that type of position or job and furthermore well, what happened to the notion of separation of the church and the state right that if that's, well, that's something that's something that I mean, that's something that I deal with. If not personally, I'm affected by Micah on a daily basis. That's why my fight for trans equality and trans white is so is so important to me. Um, some of the situ- situations and the issues that you guys don't affect, don't 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 um, become in, uh, affected by, don't inquire. I know individuals and transgender women that do on a daily basis, and it's far beyond that. It's not in Michigan; it's in Atlanta. It's it's it, it's issues like that that take place every day. I mean. <clears throat> something can happen, God forbid, to one of you guys, and they may have an investigation. If something happens to a transgender girl or female, nothing is done. Out of their existence, they say warrant that. We warrant the attacks on us. So that type of thing there just <clears throat> raises issues to us as a whole. And, and until we stick together as a whole, because things can happen to our transgender sisters, but the gay men in the community don't feel as though that's their job to stand up and speak because it's not directly happened to them. But things like this only show us that we're far. We're not far from where we think we are, and we are all exactly. still equal. And we all have to fight for each other. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, like Michael, when you look at like some of the 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 basis of which they were they're making these claims, especially when you look at the First Amendment, uh, they all the and it's always the religious right, and I'm and it's not a race thing because they are black conservative religious people who are far worse than a lot of the people we call quote unquote in the political realm the religious right. All right, mm-hmm. and so. They will look at one part of the First Amendment, the part that says uh, the United States Constitution prohibits the making uh, of any law, and they stop there and and just go to the next part, which says impeding the the free exercise of religion. But they they totally 
disregard the part that that says that uh, the United States Constitution prohibits the making of any law respecting an establishment of religion. So basically, the United States Constitution is not doing either. It's not allowing you to establish one by law, but it's Mm -hmm. also not going to impede your free exercise of religion. So I just think like the the, the we we've allowed we've allowed as people the church uh to 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 basically mar the definition of what religion is and uh for for those who are Christian uh who believe in you know Christ uh we know that the bible says that uh pure religion and undefiled is, and, and, and then it gives the definition. It says to care for the widow and the fatherless and to remain spotless from the world. So I think the definition of religion in itself has changed over the years. And so my, my thing is there's two right. elements to, to real religion. The two elements are maintaining this spiritual awareness of God and with God, but also maintaining this practical awareness of your fellow man. And so I believe when you, when you, when, when you enact laws like this, not only are you going against the, the First Amendment of the Constitution, you're going against the very teachings and beliefs that you trumpet. And I want to um, read this really quickly, and I wanna, then I want to play this, this audio, which I, it has been going over social media and and I you know I I don't know I I think well I do know who who kind of um, gave me the uh, <laughs> gave me the video or the link and it happened to be Mr. Del Rio and um, I want to play um, it for you and then once we play it we'll probably have about thirty minutes to, to talk about that and then if we are able to move on to the next subject that's great but I want to read this the relationship between religion and lesbian gay bisexual and transgender people can vary greatly across time and place within and between different religions and sects and regarding different forms of homosexuality, bisexuality, and the trans lifestyle. Some of the authoritative bodies and doctrines of the world's largest religions may view these negatively. This can range from quietly discouragement, explicitly forbidding same-sex um, sexual practices or sex-gender reassignment among adherents, actively opposing social acceptance of the LGBTQI identities, and the um, execution of people engaging in homosexual acts while tolerating sex gender reassignment in specific cases. I want to play this, um, and this I kind of know it, it made me rage and mad. Maybe I think it's like the first time I heard it, but I, I think it's quite funny as well, but I'm going to play it, and Dario know what I'm about to play. So hold yeah. on for me. Filthy? I mean, isn't filthy just a superlative way of saying unclean? That's what he means when he says unclean. It's gross. You know, he's just talking about just it's, it's morally repulsive, it, it, it's just physically repulsive. It's just, it's just repulsive across the board. And we need to get a biblical view tonight of this subject and not be deceived by the world that we live in to tell us, oh, you know, uh, we just need to just be more loving and, and everything's going to be fine. And you know what? That, that's funny because that's what everybody's doing. It's not working. All the churches who are like, Oh, let's just open our doors and just love everybody. Look, no queers allowed in this church. And all God's people said, Amen. there's no queer. Is that even legal? <laughs> Against such, there is no law. No homos will ever be allowed on this church as long as I'm the pastor here. Never! 
say, you're crazy. No, you're crazy. Right. If you think that there's something wrong with my no homo policy, okay? Look around. Look how many little kids we have here. Right. I mean, on a, on a Sunday morning when we have like 130 people, about 50 of them, we counted one time, we had about 130, and then we counted about 50 of them are like eight and younger. I think we need some pedophile around it. Now, let, let me just say it right now, and you can go ahead and just put this in your pipe and smoke it. All homos are pedophiles. There, I said it. They're all pedophiles. And look, would you allow... And you know what? We would have a better attitude toward homos if we just realized that they're pedophiles. Because just think, what would be your attitude toward pedophiles? That should be our attitude toward homos. I mean, think about it. Would you have pedophiles over for a family gathering? Would you invite pedophiles into the church? No. That's what they are. The Bible said they're full of all, all types of unrighteousness. And, and look, it's in the same list in Leviticus 20 with all that other crazy stuff that I don't even want to mention tonight. Kinds of weird, crazy stuff in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. And, and here's the thing about it. If they're being with 500, you're shocked that they're a pedophile? But look, just, just do a search on like Phoenix, just in our area, just Phoenix, child molester. And you know what's usually getting molested? Boys. Why? Because they're a homo, okay? And not only that, but, you know, it's just these repeat offenders that are just going, get a revolving door down at the jail, and it's, it's disgusting. And you say, well, that's why we need to do a background check. No, that's not going to work because everybody has a clean record until they get caught the first time. Just no homos allowed. It's that simple. You know, they, the, the news, the ABC News came and interviewed me, and she said, would you perform a ceremony for a homo couple that wants to get married? And I said, no. And I said, I'll take it a step further. I wouldn't even allow them to come to our church. You know, that didn't make it on the news. But thank God a few of the things I said made it on there. You know, but, but, but the funny thing is that they had to ask. I was the 13th phone call. I'm the bottom of the barrel. They called 12 other pastors that are all against homos, that are all against homos getting married and everything else. They called 12 of them, and they all said, well, we're against it, but we don't want to go on camera because we don't want to be seen as condemning people. They said, we're too busy loving the community than to just condemn people for their sin. No, you're too busy loving yourself and your paycheck and your nice car and your fancy building. That's what you love. Because if you loved the Lord, and if you loved your kids, and if you loved your church members, you'd tell them the truth, what the Bible says. And look, all these statistics are mainstream. None of this stuff is hidden. I, I lost my statistics. But none of, it's, none of it's hidden. It's all mainstream. Listen to these statistics, my friend. First of all, approximately 1.6% of the U.S. population will identify themselves as a homo. And 0.7% are bi. Well, you know, that means nothing to me. They're all bi as far as I'm I don't Anybody who's a homo or bi, it's all the same category. Sodomite is what the Bible would call them. And what the Bible actually says, and by the way, turn to Leviticus 20.13, because I actually discovered the cure for AIDS, okay? Now, this is the cure for AIDS, okay? And, you know, everybody's talking about, Let's have an AIDS-free world by 2020, or let's have an AIDS-free... Look, we could have an AIDS-free world by Christmas. You know, or at least... Okay, it wouldn't be totally AIDS-free, but we'd be like 90-some percent AIDS-free by Christmas if we would follow this. Okay, 
here's what the Bible says, Leviticus 20, 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with the woman, okay, it says, even both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And that, my friend, is the cure for AIDS. It was right there in the Bible all along. And they're out spending billions of dollars in research and testing. It was, it's curable. Right there. Because if you executed the homos like God recommends, you wouldn't have all this AIDS running rampant. Say, well, I just don't believe that. Okay, well, let's get the statistics in. Since you don't believe what the Bible says, let's see if you believe science. Because this is what science tells us. That first of all, even though only, according to the Washington Post, that radical Christian conspiracy newspaper, according to the Washington Post, 2.3% of the population are homos. But 78% of new HIV infections among males are homos. Okay. I know that was a lot. Um, but uh, it was something I definitely wanted people to, to hear if they didn't get the, get the chance to hear it or, or see. And I think, again, they're real for um, pointing that out. Um, so, 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 I don't know where to start, <laughs> to be honest. Micah, with you. can I please say something? Can I please say something? Go ahead, go ahead. Because, go on, only because, <laughs> only because, and I'm just going to be very frank in, in this segment, only because not only am I a homo, but I'm a former preacher, all right? So I, I, I really take, uh, I take issue with this guy uh, already prior to this, this uh, sermon, speech, uh, foolishness that he's doing. Uh, but I want to call to, I want to take to task us as a community on this whole issue. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I, I'm one of those people, and this is something, and, 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 and I welcome uh, a pushback from uh, yourself, Cam, or Ebony on this. I'm one of those people who believes that uh, there's a difference between who we are and what we do. And the reason that the 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 society uh labels and gives like people who are who may be uh um, child molesters or uh, pedophiles and things of that nature, they link them with homosexuals or gay people because we allow the world to identify us as being hom not being homosexual, but homosexual, uh, being engaged in homosexual acts. So we allow them to identify by what we do, identify us by what we do, instead of identifying us for who we are. And as long as we continue allowing the world to identify us as what we do, only as a sexual thing, because that's what they look when they see it. They don't see love. They, they don't, don't see us through the lens of relationships. They don't mm -hmm. see us through the lens of being productive members of society and working jobs and getting degrees and having children and things of that nature. They don't see those that part. They only mm -hmm. see us as sex. Mm -hmm. And so when we continue to allow them to, to identify us that way and put that stigma on us, that's what that's what's where they get some of these things. And I'm not saying it's our fault. That's their fault that they believe that. But we have to take ourselves to task sometimes and say and, and stop allowing the world to identify us as such. And I just think a lot of times uh, we we allow 
uh, pedophiles and uh, DL brothers and all to get linked into one group with us who are proud, who are out, who don't mind people knowing about us. And we allow ourselves to get linked with all of these other groups, and that's where the the, the society begins to look at us and, 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 and put this stigma on us and say, yeah, all of you guys are part of this. I've had a conversation with a coworker one time, and she she brought up this point. She thought this was a valid point, and she uh, she she had this man just uh, preached this sermon. Uh, she made this this comment maybe I don't know six months ago, and she she thought that that was valid. That the way to get rid of AIDS, and you know of course a, a lot of them are so uneducated on what AIDS is versus you know AIDS and HIV and the timing mm-hmm. and things that is so uneducated they just link it all into one bunch and so she they, she's of the belief that if you uh, you know just go ahead and kill off all the gays because there's there's a script and of course these are people who come from this religious uh, perspective there's scripture in the Bible. Uh, that I referenced earlier about the uh, the 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 the, uh, the king that rose up that had no fear of God. During that time, what they did was they killed off a whole generation because that generation had no fear of God. They killed the whole generation off and started a whole new generation, and that's where they get a lot of their ideologies from. A, a lot of it is things that they take out of the Bible and they parse it and they say, "Okay, and, I'm and, and trying to make it their own." They make a doctrine when, when, and, and they don't read their own Bible that they believe and that they trumpet that says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So you can't just pull one, one scripture from somewhere and just defend that as law. You have to find line upon line, precept upon precept, and find, you know, evidence of these things. And a lot of times they don't have evidence, but they, they, this is the kind of stuff that has been passed through the church for years. But I'm, and, and, I'm, I'm and, totally – is, is that a reason – do you think that's a reason – well, kind of – I think you guys may have touched, touched on it What uh, about organized religion and why people um, don't necessarily want to go to church and, and be a part of that because especially, you know – when you're gay or whatever, you may walk into the church, you think that all eyes are on you, and then, you know, it just so happened. Oh, I've been, I've been, you know, in New Beginners Baptist Church, and I love my, my churches, but, you know, New Beginners Baptist Church where uh, the, the, my pastor, James Morton, he wouldn't talk about, he didn't really talk about the gays, and we had a lot of them in the church, but he wouldn't really talk about the, the gays and homosexual, homosexuality or whatever. But what I would see would happen is that when we have the annual revival or when we have guest preachers, you know, they're coming in there, just all they're talking about. And it's like, you know, that's why homosexuality, you know, homosexuals or, or gay people, they don't even want to come in the church sometimes because you're already condemning us, you're already shunning us, you know, for whatever, you know, for, for whatever you feel that we're doing wrong in your eyes and it's not a God, it's not God-like and things of that nature. And I, I think that that is one reason why, you know, people are trying to, even myself, I, I'm starting to step away from the whole organization because I was a part of that, you know. Um, but I'll say this, Michael, and I'll, I'll shut up and give the, the, the rest of the time Ebony, to yeah. Cam and Edward. Okay. I'm going to say this right quick. I, 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 I lived a life where I grew up in the church under my grandmother, under my, my mother, my uncles who were preachers and pastors, and mm-hmm. uh, eventually went into the ministry. Went into the ministry never had uh any type of you know uh willful encounters with men uh 
uh, prior to me coming out, all right? Uh, but during that time that I went to the ministry, I, I, I had these affections. I've always been attracted to men for as long as I can remember, okay? And during this time, um, you know, I, I was allowed to operate in the ministry. And the pastor and the assistant pastor and all that, you know, I, I began to uh, be, get elevated within the church. So I became the youth pastor. And then from being the youth pastor, uh, I sat on the uh, board at the church. And from that point, then I had a uh, what they call a district position. So I got elevated because these people, quote, unquote, saw this anointing that was on me. The minute after my marriage and everything failed, the minute I decided, because it was a decision, the actual affections that I had for a man was not a decision. I always tell people, you can control your actions, but you can't control your attractions. So the attractions and the affections I had for men, I couldn't control that. that that's always been there. But when I made a conscious decision to stop lying to myself, and I stepped out there and I started talking to guys and dating guys, Immediately, now my anointing, quote-unquote, that you saw is null and void. It no longer exists now. So all of the prophecy and the Bible study teaching and the wealth of knowledge that I had concerning the Word of God has gone out the window. It's to no effect now because now you know I'm gay. And so that always makes me bring into question, like, if if you really, if, if you guys are really, and truly men and women of God, where was your discernment if you thought, if, if, if you're really men and women of God and you really believe that being gay is so wrong, where was your, dis, where, where was your discernment then when I was operating in the gifts and in the callings and operating in, in the church and everything was going good? Yet I was still having these affections and feelings and in and, and my head knew that, I was attracted to men. Where was your Where was your discernment then? So that's always my. It comes from a personal place for me when I think about this kind of stuff in the church. Ebony, um, Ebony, you here? Hey, hey, I have okay. three things. Three things okay, I want to reference to what um, he said. First thing, as far as the thing about the stigma about the gay community, um, at the end of the day, we, I mean, they, they, they have a right to feel that because we, at the end of the day, that's what we promote. If you look at the prides and stuff, very few times do you see a pride event that's filled with education and resources to help uplift right. and build our community. Pride events are more surrounded around strippers, sex boys, and all those other type of things. So at some time, we do, at the Lord's part, we do feed into that. Secondly, I'm a firm believer, and the reason why things are the way we are because we as people refuse to accept people and allow them to be who we are, who they are. If you allow a person to self-identify, that would eliminate a lot of the problems that exist within society now. The problem is that we don't allow people to self-identify because we have a certain box that we want to put people in, which is unfair to them. And when those people decide to live in their truth, it becomes a problem because those people are doing what it is they want to do, and we already have a predestination for them. The third thing is as far as what you're saying about about religion and things like that. I'm a firm I, I, anybody that knows me knows that I I'm I um 
I attend church regularly, and I believe that it's the it's the education that's most important to me. And if, even though when I read the Bible, I see chronicles and I hear stories about different things. And the most common thing that I have come to grips with for my own personal life is that God uses everybody. And because of the way that things are, and if you look at the Bible, most of the people that's documented in the Bible were people that the people that God used were the people that was of the world, the people that the world deemed unworthy, unfit. Mm -hmm. And God, Mm -hmm. those are the people that God used to do the miracles through. And at the end of the day, Del Rio, there's nobody that can determine who you are because the move of God is moving and he's going to use people who, the church people who do not identify with, that's why you're getting such residual. Because you're not, quote, unquote, a part of them, they don't feel as though that you have the ability to do things because the God that's in you and the way that he's moving, they have a problem with they're afraid of because they feel as though you're not worthy of that. But the gift that he has ordained in you is bigger than the gift that they have. And a lot of times they have a problem with understanding that. When you do anything in life and you do things outside of anybody's expectations and you live, quote, unquote, with an obvious flaw and sometimes same gender loving is an obvious flaw, you have taken yourself out of this thing that is deemed worthy of you. You don't deserve the things in life that is deemed for me because I'm heterosexual. I'm married. The Bible says I should have a husband and kids. I'm doing that. How dare you live the life that I dream of? You're not worthy of that. You should be cast down upon. And when you live every day in your truth, God still uses you, and they have people that have a problem with that. If you look at the Bible, it tells you that. This is coming to a time where he's going to use the most unorthodox way of doing things. If he talk about the Bible, he used the woman at the well. He used people that were prostitutes. He used people that were of the world because these people are coming to him authentically. These people are authentic in their praise. And when God speaks to them, they're so yearning and hungry for the word, and those are the people that he's using, not people that have totally educated on what they think he should do, that they're so educated on what they think he should do, they're not listening to his word. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest problem. I think nowadays with the move of God, the church that I go to is 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 um gender inclusive and things like that. I mean, and I love it because the level of teaching that goes forth, and mm-hmm. even that I realize that I have a gift, and my purpose is bigger than 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 than, than who I am. I'm not I'm not, I'm bigger than my gender. I'm not a human living a spiritual experience. I'm spirit living a human experience, and that's great, the most great. important thing that we lose. Okay. Well, I'm a, and Ebony, that, bring, that brings me to this point. Sorry to cut you off because it goes back to why I have a problem with organized religion. I think that this human life is about experience. We are spirits inhabiting a human life, and it's about our experiences as humans. And I believe in this life, religion has become the belief in someone else's experience, while spirituality is about exploring our own experiences. In this That's good, world. Cam. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. You get what I'm saying? That's what that's my personal philosophy when it comes to it all. And it's like, don't throw your own experience off on me. My life is about living my life through this human experience, and it's about the things that I explore in my mind and expanding my own mind, my intentions, my thoughts, and my theories, as opposed to accepting what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like Ebony, Ebony, you agree, disagree? <laughs> 
as far as I mean, you know, and, and spirituality and things like that. Mm. That's your own self. That that's yeah. at your own self. That's at your own interpretation mm. of things. I I have a different view on that, and mm-hmm. I'm not trying to force mine on people. I just know that I do oh, yeah. certain things I do, and I navigate my life in a certain way, and hopefully people see that in me, and and that's what they gravitate to. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say, um, I, I've never gone to a church that was. Um, like what, so you have visions in Atlanta, and what's the other one? Tabernacle. Um, you know, I, I, I'm saying, you know, growing up, you know, in Atlanta, 18, 19, 20, I used to call, you know, used to call Tabernacle the gay church and this and other, and I didn't want to be a part of that, you know, because I, I didn't we call think, them affirming churches. Affirming. Um, oh, affirming. Well, a gay church to me. So, you know, <laughs> I, I never wanted to. I never wanted to, you know, go to those churches because not that. I didn't really care what was going on, but I just felt like maybe it was just a lot. You know, back then it was just a lot going on in those churches from what I would hear from people that, that actually went to those churches. No, at the end of the day, it's hold on, more hold on, Ebony, hold on. I, No, hold on. I just want to say that at that point for me, I would never go to those churches because of, of my fear of going in there and it, it being, you know, not really what I – because when I go to the church, even people would say, oh, when I went to New – I went to New Beginnings for like seven years. Go to New Beginnings and people were like, oh, that's the gay church, this and other, or a lot of gays. Well, maybe, you know what I'm saying? But when I would go to church, I, I even though it was a bigger church than where I was raised, I would go and sit on the second – I would sit on the second row or whatever, and I would be focused in on what the pastor was preaching, you see what I'm saying? But when I heard so many horror stories and, and things like that when regards to Tabernacle, I would I would go. Now, a lot of my friends and, and, and people go to, and family members go to Visions, and it seems about to be a great church. The pastor was featured in, I don't know if it was Jet Ebony, one of those magazines, him and his first man and, and all that. So, you know, I get it now. I, I'm getting older, mature, and, and, and I'm learning. But um, I, I think, you know, there's, again, there's a fear for a lot of us of going into, going into churches, period, and, and, and feeling that we're being shunned or talked about. And everybody wants to pray, you know, pray us out, pray the, you know, whatever out of us and stuff like that. Pray so, the gay away. Um, pray the gay away. I was going to play the delivered thing, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to play that. <laughs> uh, but, no, I, I, I totally get it. Um, so we'll talk more about homosexuality and religion. But if you guys can do really, really quickly, um, we talked about social media a little bit, and we're going to end up talking about it for only about a, a couple of seconds. But I want you to um, – to, to whatever it is that, you know, Ebony and, and Daryl on our after show last week, you know, we had a lot to say about social media and, and what we see, the pros and the cons and things of that nature. So, um, Ebony, I'm going to start with you. Um, I just want you to, I'll say, give me your rant, you know, give me your rant in, in regards to social media, what you want people to, to know about it or, or how they should use it and, and things of that nature. So whatever you want to tell people really quickly and in a minute or two about social media and, and, and what we should be really using it for, you know, whatever your rant is about social media, just, just say it. Cause I know you have one. At the end of the day, social media is our, is our ability to connect to people that we don't have normally have the, have the range and access to. And, and, and it's very important to establish your brand, whatever your brand, whatever it is you want your brand to be, that's, I think your brand should be more authentic, authentic, and be more mm-hmm. genuine of who you are, and mm-hmm. not who you who you think people will identify with or who you think people want to see. But be true to that. And there is a censor. Yeah. There is a censor. You know, there, there there should be a cutoff point with that. I mean, your private life is your private life. I mean, right. and that's just how I feel about that. Right. Okay. Um, Del Rio. Hi. I don't even know, Micah, honestly. I, I mean, I, I use social media various ways. I think my 
my Facebook page is more of, um, of course, since I've gotten a little older, uh, it has has become less less picturesque, racy picturesque, and more of my thoughts, my feelings towards, uh, you know, social injustices, uh, um, religious, um, you know, injustices, just a lot of different uh, topics and issues that are, are, are passions of mine. Uh, Instagram, on the other hand, Micah, as you saw, is a totally different oh, yeah, situation me because that, <laughs> that released it, but that released the, the other side of me that right. I feel like, and, and I'm not being, in my opinion, I'm not being fake. I'm being as real as possible. But because mm-hmm. there's a following on Facebook, uh, not as if this is church or anything, but there's a following on Facebook that mm-hmm. uh, don't need to be exposed to that. And if they want to be exposed to that, then Instagram is the place that you can be exposed to that because it's a private mm-hmm. page. It's mine. You understand mm-hmm. what I mean? But when it comes to Facebook, Facebook is about me talking to people and seeing what I, how I feel about things that, you know, the, the, uh, that I'm passionate about. And then Twitter, okay. on the other hand, is just a place where I go and vent how I'm feeling mm-hmm. from day to day. I don't have my picture on there, so no one knows who I am. So I just vent about what's going on at school, what's going on here. No one can really track it or trace it because I have no no uh, evidence or remnants of anything else to say, oh, that's Del Rio's page. Right. So, so, Cameron, um, so Cameron, what do you think needs to change uh, or what do we need to change collectively, you know, as a community when it when, in reference to social media and when we are on these social media accounts? What do you think needs to change from your perspective? Well, I don't know if I can suggest a change, but I can suggest some notes. Um, okay, go ahead. Same thing. Being mindful that, number one, social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of that, remember mm-hmm. that it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, this right. is a place where people get to go to be whoever they want to be. And a lot of the times, it's not the person who they really are in reality. Mm -hmm. It gives them the opportunity to express themselves in ways that they feel they can. And like I say, it's it's a fantasy overall to me. It's where anybody can be whatever you want to be. So you have to take things at face value a lot of the times. Don't take it Um, The second thing I could say is be mindful. I -hmm. feel like a lot of times people lack that mindful aspect that, when you post these things, when you make certain remarks, there are other people, especially when it comes to the cattiness and the messiness, there are other people out there who have feelings. Don't attack right. these just because you can. Don't don't go around and contribute to the drama and the bullshit just because you have the opportunity to do so. Be mm-hmm. mindful of the things you post. Be mindful of the things you say. Because, remember, it's all a contribution to your own morality. And I think a lot of people forget that at times. I'll say personal things should remain personal. You know, it's um, and and like we had a conversation in New Orleans, and and Cam, you if you remember, you know, you there's been times now it doesn't really happen, but there's been times where I was about to press send or post or whatever that that it is, and then you're like, you know what? Never mind, I don't have to say it. So people, you don't always have to think, you don't always have to think that you have to say each and everything that is on your mind. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to. Right. You don't have. You don't have to do that. You have to learn. People have to. If you're going to use Facebook for whatever reason, you got to learn how to be accountable. Be accountable for what you post. Be responsible at the same time. Because even though, and I've heard many, many shows before where we talk about role models, people don't necessarily want to be role models. But guess what? You are a role model to somebody. There's somebody out there that does look up to you, whether it be your niece, nephew, and I'm talking about biological niece, nephew, sister, brother, cousin, 
or even in our lifestyle where we have those, there's somebody that looks up to you. So be accountable, be responsible for those things that you post on Facebook. You know, everybody does not have to know about everything. And at the same time, some people need to get their own therapy. They need to go in and they need to have a therapist. They need to go and pay somebody some money so they can talk about their issues. It's okay for us to say one or two things, but when it's all about what you're going through and this, that, and the other, baby, try to find somebody that you can confide in or if you can't pay, you know, go and try to find somebody that you can fight in or whatever because, you know, it, it, sometimes I understand it's an outcry, you know, but some people, if you have those issues, I say, you know, that's, those are personal things and sometimes you don't want everybody in your business because when people get in your business, they become messy, they become catty, and then so many things um, erupt from that. So um, that's what I had to say. Do anybody else want to say anything in regards to social media and, and, and a rant or just anything? Um, you have uh, maybe one minute, <laughs> and then I'll play the closing. So anybody, anything that you want to share or, or say to, to the audience that's, that's listening? Nobody? Well, I'll say this as far as, okay. like, and this is not exactly about social media, but I'll say this. I encourage everyone to, like, Really, uh, because Ebony and Micah said, and I think Cam said as well, uh, learn your learn your lo- local and state laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's going to be very important moving forward. Learn, uh, you know, some uh, Supreme Court cases, landmark Supreme Court cases that you know uh, uh, entail a lot of your rights uh, mm-hmm. that you have today. Because if you don't, I promise you. Your rights will be violated when when a person is is desperate to not get in trouble or to not uh, not be caught for something they're doing and they know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Believe me, mm-hmm. they're gonna write it and put it whatever kind of way they can put it mm-hmm. <clears throat> to get them out of trouble and to put you more in trouble. If you know your rights, I promise you, it, you you're gonna be a lot better. We're gonna have to do a, a little more reading, a little more a little more research to make sure that we're okay. And I mean, if okay. whatever I have to do whatever I can contribute, I'm willing to do that. Most definitely. And everyone, make sure you just, you know, go back and listen. Sometimes, because I miss a lot of things, and, you know, on these type of conversations, I'm just listening and, and taking everything in and writing things down or whatever. But go back, and I, and I you know, challenge my panelists to, to go and, and share with them as many people and allow them to listen to it as well. Um, and, again, go out, research, and, and know your rights, and, um, and make change. Continue to make change, especially for 2015, because this will be our last town hall meeting for the year. Um, we have so many more things that, that will be happening this particular month. So thank you so much to my panelists. I want you to hold the line for me. My, um, my listeners, please hold the line, listen to the closing, and um, we'll be talking real soon for this whole for me, guys. This is Timothy, a.k.a. Tyron Iman Dickerson, and you're listening to The Talk with Micah and Friends. tonight's episode guys I hope that you all got a lot out of tonight's show and I just want to say let's continue to charge our minds and promise to do more within our community to make the future bigger brighter and promising for those that shall follow behind us I want to thank my lovely panel 
Thank you so very much for the discussion on tonight. It was well needed. Thank you to all of my supporters out there that continue to support the Talk with Mike and Friends each and every time that I'm live on the air. And as with every week, I do have to leave you with the quote of the week. So here's this week's quote. Don't settle for mediocrity. Move forward, take new ground, and break barriers that have held you back. Again, don't settle for mediocrity. Move forward, take new ground, and break barriers that have held you back. Continue, everybody. Continue to do more, okay? We need it. Until next time, everybody be blessed. But I know going come. Oh, yes, it will. Then I go Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.